Communion meditation is from Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 10 through uh, 13. It says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. The writer of the book of Hebrews, whom I believe is Luke, um, and there's lots of good arguments, I think, for that, Uh, He was writing to Christians who were undergoing incredibly intense persecution as a Jewish minority, and it's hard to fathom the degree of the persecution that they were facing. Uh, Some scholars believe that there were several million Christians who were killed between the years 62 and 68 A.D., Uh, It's what I call the Great Tribulation of the Christians. It's different from the Great Tribulation of uh, Israel, which is more properly called the the Wrath of God, the Great Wrath, which was actually from 66 to 73 A.D. But this book of Hebrews was written in 66 A.D. at the height of this persecution by both Rome and and Israel. Here were enemies who were ganging up against uh, the church and trying to absolutely extinguish it. Their, their goal was complete annihilation of all Christians. And this book of Hebrews sought to ground them in the faith and encourage them. And it did so in a number of ways. One of the ways was appealing to motivational factors that you'll find in humans. In fact, Jay Adams uh, uh, one time said, a book needs to be written on the motivational theology of the book of Hebrews. And I've read through it quite a number of times with the eye to what, is it, what, uh, what does it take to motivate people to do the right thing? And Hebrews is full of negative motivations, positive motivations. It's a wonderful book, and I'm not going to deal with that so much today. But one of the things that really hurt the Jewish Christians that he was writing to was that tug of social acceptance. By 66 A.D., the persecution was so strong that um, Jews didn't dare have any dealings with Christians. They didn't want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to get excommunicated from the synagogue or face the wrath of the civil magistrate. So if you had a friend that was a Jew, they had by this time way backed off from you. Or if not that, they've turned you into the authorities. And the book of, um, of Hebrews says that they've already been shunned, they've already been excommunicated from the synagogues, they've already been excluded from the temple and disinherited. Many of them have been killed, and there was enormous social pressures to leave Christianity. So that's the context. And the writer of this book responds by saying this, Yes, you have been shunned. But you've been received by the Lord who has created this universe. And in the Lord's table, he has pledged himself for you. And not only that, but all of the other believers have pledged themselves for you. So don't give up. Don't abandon the faith. He says, yes, you've been disinherited by your relatives, but you've received a glorious inheritance as far better, heaven and Christ and all of the things that come with his providences in your life. Yes, you're in danger of losing your lives, but if you are secure in Christ, 
They can't take away your salvation. You're secure for all of eternity. Yes, you've been excluded from the temple and from the fellowship meals of your relatives. But he says that we have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have absolutely no right to eat from. And he calls these wavering Jewish Christians in these chapters to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. Uh, but to use the atmosphere of the church to encourage and to motivate each other to stand strong. The Lord's table was a weekly reminder. We must stand strong, but we don't have to do it all on our own. Yes, you have lost your families, he says, but you've got a new spiritual family. And yes, Jesus was spit on and rejected by uh, Israel, and yes, it's a social shame to be identified with Christ, but if you've got Christ, really, you've got everything. They're the ones who ought to be pitied, not you. And so he said, let's go forth to Jesus outside the camp of Judaism and be willing to bear his reproach with him. So the Lord's table, really, when you study it in the context of Hebrews, the Lord's table separated between those who would stand for Jesus and those who were ashamed of Jesus. Okay, But it certainly is a call to stand firm in Christ when you're facing persecution. Now, Every week, our family prays at least once uh, for the persecuted church around the world, and we see so many stories of these persecuted believers being imprisoned and beaten and their friends and their relatives being killed and them being shunned and kicked out of families. Sometimes in India, you know, over 100,000 were kicked out of their homes, uh, hiding in the forests. And when you read stories like that, you wonder, man, how would I respond if I was in that situation? Would I stand strong? Well, in, in one sense, you really don't need to wonder because God is already testing you right now. You can evaluate how you are standing for the Lord. Now, your testings are much, much less severe than the testings that most of the church in other underdeveloped countries are going through. Uh, your testing of whether you're ashamed of Christ or whether you might compromise might be as simple as uh, are you going to be embarrassed that you stand for sexual purity in the workplace? Now, they don't call it sexual purity. They call it homophobia. And who wants to be called a homophobe, right? And you say, I'm not a homophobe. But they put pressure on you and make you go through all of these re-education programs. What are they called? Uh, uh, Sensitivity training programs, right. Uh, And so it could be a simple thing like that, or it could be uh, shame over the law of God. Now, that might come from fellow believers who say, you legalist, I can't believe that you would uphold Old Testament law. We're under grace, not under law. And they begin to do a spin job on it to make you ashamed of your loving the perfect law of liberty. Or uh, it could be any number of other slanders that are thrown at you. This past week, we were working with a number of people in, in Lincoln, uh, uh, and I was uh, doing it by email because I, I didn't have time to go over there. But Christians who were standing in favor of the death penalty in opposition to this bill to, to remove the death penalty from Nebraska were being slandered with all kinds of ridiculous names. In fact, pro-aborts were calling us, you're not pro-life. And I'm thinking, that is such a ridiculous argument for a pro-abort to say you're not pro-life. And our response is, no, we are pro-innocent life. We are certainly not pro-criminal life, pro-murderer life. 
but we are pro-innocent life. But the point is, there's any number of ways in which you can be tempted to compromise and to feel shame of identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as the Lord's table called Jewish believers in 66 AD to stand, the Lord's table that we partake of today calls us to stand. And the New Testament, I won't read them all, but they just over and over again, there are calls, stand firm. Why? Because we're tempted to drift. I'll just give you one. Philippians 4.1 admonishes all believers, stand fast in the Lord, and what God commands, He enables. Uh, he enables us to do. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And that's the message of the Lord's table, that it's God who enables both us and you to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to do it alone, but we do need to be willing to leave the approval of the world, to go outside the camp, and to be willing to bear reproach with him. And so the Lord's table should not only show to us the incredible riches of his promises, the inheritance that he has given to us, that's his pledge of that, but it also shows that we must leave. We must leave the approval of man and seek the approval of God. We must leave idolatrous social approval and find joy in the society of the church. We must leave the wisdom of the world and seek the wisdom of God as it's revealed to us in the Bible. <clears throat> All of our motivations that he goes through in, in, in the book of Hebrews, every motivational factor needs to abandon idolatry, be transformed by grace so that it will serve God. And so as we come to the Lord's table, let's make our participation in this table be our commitment to stand. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 tells Christians, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, and 1 Corinthians 15, 58 guarantees that it will be worth it. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the promise, the pledge that you have given to us in this uh, this table, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that uh, even though we are giving up so much uh, when we uh, leave the world, we uh, are many times persecuted, yet we realize in reality it's not giving up anything. We are receiving so much from your hand. And so I pray that you would uh, transform the motivations that are within our hearts by your grace so that they do not serve our flesh, they do not serve in idolatrous ways our society, but that, so that they are used in total service to you. Do sanctify us through this meal, and may you be glorified in our partaking. In Jesus' name, amen.